I really don't like losing things. I mean, it's truly one of the most frustrating things ever, isn't it? Has this ever happened to you? You're walking around the house and you're getting ready to leave and you can't find something. You're searching, you're searching everywhere frantically. Your wallet, your car keys, your debit card, your phone, whatever it is. You're sure you've checked everywhere, your pockets, you've, you've checked your bag or whatever you have with you. And then suddenly after you feel like you've searched every corner of the house, you feel it in your pocket. You find it in your bag. Or worst of all, it's been in your hand the entire time. Man, that's frustrating, isn't it? And it really makes you start to wonder, really wonder if something's wrong with you. I feel like the older you get, the longer you stop and wonder about that when you find something, especially if it's been in your hand the whole time. We all lose things though, don't we? Right now during the COVID-19 crisis, you might be losing track of time. I mean, there's been all kinds of jokes about it. And this is the one time when you might be able to say, I didn't realize it was time for church because I forgot what day it is. But luckily for you, we have all of our messages online every week and all of the live stream worship services, if you're watching us live right now or down below where you're watching. You're welcome. Anyhow, speaking of that, speaking of losing things, I remember one time my wife lost her cell phone. We had been visiting her family in Virginia. We had a great visit. We were driving back to, I think, Pennsylvania at that point, and we weren't sure when we got home if we'd lost it on our way somewhere back home, if we'd lost it at home, or if it was still at my in-laws in Virginia. So we turned the house upside down, turned the car upside down, searched everywhere. They searched everywhere, and after a while, we finally gave up. We got her a new phone. About six or eight years later, my in-laws were moving some furniture. They were getting ready, and my father-in-law, they were getting ready to remodel, I think, and my father-in-law found her phone in the cushions in the couch or somewhere like that, I think, and he didn't tell anybody, and he put a big eye on it, one of those big old clunky phones, and he wrapped it up and gave it to her for Christmas, her very own iPhone. It was really pretty funny. And while those moments of loss, they can frustrate us, and man, they certainly do frustrate us. What about when you find something important that's been lost? Not like my wife's old phone, which let's be honest, it was nothing more than a paperweight when we finally found it, but something that's truly important. You search and you search, and when you finally find it, that thing of great value that you've been looking for, You've moved all the furniture, you've searched every corner, you've turned everything upside down. And when you finally find that thing, so often, it's right underneath your nose. Today, we're going to continue to look at the parables of Jesus, those everyday stories that have that deeper spiritual meaning, that tell the truths of God's kingdom, that kingdom of grace and redemption that Christ came to deliver to us with his death on the cross and as he rose from the grave, the empty tomb that we celebrated at Easter. And in the first part of Luke 15, we began looking at these parables and we considered the parable of the lost sheep. In that parable, we were reminded about God's heart to rescue us from sin and that our Heavenly Father, who's represented as that shepherd, He loves us and He values each one of us. He didn't say, I've got 99 problems and that sheep ain't one. Okay, that's a really bad joke, but He didn't value one sheep more than another. Every one of those sheep, they were valuable to Him. They all mattered. He wanted them to be safe and to be rescued from the danger, from the power and the destruction of sin. Today, we're going to take this 
concept of rescue that we learned about last week, how God wants to rescue us from our sin. That's his heart. We're going to take that idea, that idea that God wants to rescue us, and we're going to consider that as Jesus, again, has some harsh words for his opponents, the Pharisees. Now, if you remember, Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem in his ministry. He's getting closer to that time when he's going to lay down his life. And he's shifted gears and he's teaching from these, these parables. And he has a great deal to say to all of us and to say to all those people who were gathered there about what it means that we should be rescued from our sin. But he's particularly here speaking to those Pharisees and those scribes. He's attacking them in some ways for their hard attitude. He's going after them a little bit. Because they're, they're not having any compassion on the broken people that Jesus has come to save. They're not recognizing their own brokenness. And Jesus wants everyone there, those who were the good religious folks, so they thought, those who were the broken sinners. He wants all of them, all the outcasts, all the everyday people, everyone who's come out to hear him teach. He wants all of them to know what it means to be delivered from sin into eternal life. That's the heart of chapter 15 here in Luke. Jesus has come to offer us hope, redemption, and restoration. Even for the most impossible of people, those who think they're so far gone that they don't have any hope. He wasn't threatened by the barriers that the Pharisees and scribes attempted to set up in their own spiritual game that they played. He wasn't worried about any of those things. And that's certainly exemplified in his choices in these stories. First, he chooses a shepherd. Last week, he talked about a shepherd. Not the most popular people. Though King David was a shepherd in the Bible, they were outcasts. Because they worked with unclean animals, shepherds couldn't even enter into the temple. But this week, Jesus goes even further. He chooses an example that the Pharisees and the scribes would never imagine. He wants to tell us more about his heart and that whatever we may think, whatever we may believe, what matters to him is delivering people, even those who seem so far outside the norm in his culture, that they too would know eternal life. And he chooses here, in a very patriarchal culture, to use a woman as the protagonist, as the hero in this parable. He's going to teach these men who felt they were the leaders of Israel with an everyday common woman in this story. And woe Nelly, that is not something they want to hear. But we see the heart of God at work to rescue sinners and to teach us about one who has lost something and then found it. And there's a lesson here for us in this parable as the church today. This parable has a lot to tell us about what should matter to us as Christians. If you're a Christian, if Jesus Christ is your Savior, if you belong to him, you are the church. All of us are the church. Now, the Pharisees, who, who were the religious leaders in Jesus' day, they woke up every day and they really thought to themselves in this culture, thank goodness I am that, or thank you, God, I am glad I am not a shepherd. I am not a, a tax collector like they talked about last week. I'm, I'm not a woman. Because if you're a woman, you couldn't even possess anything of your own, basically. You had a few small things, and Jesus is going to talk about that, but you couldn't hold land. You couldn't really hold a whole lot of things in the Jewish culture. You, you were not really considered a full person in some ways, and yet Jesus regards everyone as completely valuable to God and worthy 
of repentance, worthy of redemption. So while the Pharisees would say, thank you, I'm not like those people, God said, I'm here because I love you. So let's learn today and let's enter into this story that Jesus is telling about a coin that was lost in Luke chapter 15. And let's imagine as if we're in the story. There's a small village and there's some huts and they're probably made out of uh, mud bricks and straw and things of that sort. And yet there's a woman there and she's lost something valuable. She's lost something that she doesn't know if she can replace and she's very anxious and very upset. For us in our world today, this should make a lot of sense. As we've struggled, as we've had frustrations. And so this woman, she's searching for a coin that she's lost. And for her, this money is all that she had. It's the only thing she had. It was her everything. So let's look today in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 8 through verse 10. Or when a woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, she sweeps the house and searches carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. This is God's holy word. So let's start here with what was lost. And what was lost was one of ten silver coins. Look here at verse 8. Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Now, it's helpful to understand exactly what was lost here. This coin itself was likely a, a denarius or a drachma to the Romans or the Greeks, respectively, but it was pretty much the same amount of money, the same denomination between those cultures. The Greeks proceeded and the Romans took over the Greek empire. It was about 4.3 grams of silver, and it basically amounted to one day's wages. We've discovered a lot of these in biblical archaeological digs, and we know from historical data that this one day's wage was a common coin that was given to a worker at the end of their day. We see this mentioned by Jesus often in his parables and his stories because it's something that everyone understood. It was something that made sense to them. The silver coin this woman had may represent the entire savings that she has. This could be her life savings, essentially. It could be some monies that she had for something she was going to do, uh, Probably not just grocery money, though, because remember, the, the way Jesus is telling these stories, we get the idea that these folks are everyday people. They really lived beyond even what we would understand as paycheck to paycheck. And while some of this could have been used for everyday expenses, it was likely meant for something more. Now, why do we know that? Based on that culture, the money they had was not what they exchanged for every good. Often in their culture, in an agrarian and an agricultural society, they would raise things, whether livestock or grain, or they would practice a trade. And bartering, trading, was how they achieved a lot of their sustenance in this world. So rather than just paying for everything like we do, they would trade. If you were a blacksmith or something of that sort, you would trade your skills. If you were a carpenter, 
you would trade that to someone else. They bartered much as we did in the early days of our culture. You didn't just take your, your debit card or your Apple Pay or whatever and head to Walmart or Target. You would trade with people for what you needed. So this money was something that was often set aside as life savings. So maybe she was a good Dave Ramsey student and she was saving up her money for a rainy day or something like that. And often when, when women did this in their homes and for the men, the money would come home, they would wrap it and they would hide it somewhere to keep it safe. There wasn't a bank or somewhere else to put it. They'd have a cloth they would wrap up and they'd put it in a corner out of the way for safe keeping. But deeper still, based on what we know of the culture, this could have been beyond life savings. These coins actually could have represented this woman's dowry, the amount of money that would be exchanged for her hand in marriage. What a father would give to a, someone for a future bride. Or even perhaps a husband would have money with his wife because, as I said, in that culture, if something were to happen to the husband, the wife would have nothing of her own except for perhaps those coins. So often a woman, whether it was from her husband or from her father, that money was dear because that was basically the essence of their freedom in their life. They would punch a small hole through the coins and put a cord through it and they would wear it around their neck. Or often to keep it even safer, they would put it in a leather pouch and they would wrap it up in their hair, which in that culture they would keep covered. And no one would ever look at a woman's hair so they could literally hide things and cover them up. So often that's what they would do. But when you came home, if you took off that cord or to put down your hair at home, if you're a woman, those coins could fall out. And in this case, apparently one of them was lost. And so she sets off on her search. And like the parable of the sheep, that one sheep was really valuable. This one coin is truly valuable, one out of 10 for this woman. So she's searching everywhere. She lights a lamp. She gets out her broom and she begins sweeping around. In that part of the world, they'd have dusty floors and she sweeps everywhere. She's searching frantically for that coin. Now, how would you feel if you were her? How would we feel if we were in her shoes? Maybe you've been searching for something valuable lately, a piece of jewelry, a, a picture in this, these stressful days. You look for a picture that reminds you of a time you love in your life. Uh, maybe you're still doing your taxes because the tax deadline got extended and you were searching for some tax paperwork or something about your 401k or something that's just truly valuable to you. If that's you now or if that's been you in the past, I, I bet you can feel the franticness, even the fear, the uncertainty that she was experiencing as she searches everywhere. But notice something. She doesn't give up. She searches until she finds it. And look what happens when she finds it in verse 9. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me. Together they rejoice because I have found the silver coin I lost. Now this isn't $20. She loses out the window on Route 8 or on the interstate. It's nothing like that. This was something precious to her. Perhaps in, in a variety of ways, this, this mattered more to her. She was so determined. She searched everywhere. So she's ecstatic when she finds it. She has to share her joy. She wants others to celebrate with her. Now, looking at the language here in, in the Bible, the original Greek language, we get a few clues. The words here for friends and neighbors, they're in the feminine tense. And so here we see this woman is looking to connect with her girlfriends, with her, her friends, the, the women that she spends time with. 
She wants to share what happened. And remember, in a small town, friends and neighbors, they probably all connected together. And in that culture, the women would specially spend time together talking. I grew up in a small town. Maybe that makes sense to you. But even now, in the midst of COVID-19, this might make more sense to you. Because women like to share with their friends. And I've noticed this in our own world because my wife and her friends, her mom squad as we call them, they've got this app called Marco Polo. And they send themselves these crazy video messages on this app and they're, they're sweet and all they're trying to do is share with each other what's going on, what's good, what's bad, what's frustrating. See, this, this parable even makes sense to us in our world today in the midst of what we're dealing with. And especially, I'm sure ladies, this might make sense to you. Maybe for some of us as guys, it makes sense. Guys, you know, dudes, we're a little stranger about that. We, uh, we kind of grunt or send one message, uh, text back and forth, or maybe a movie quote or just some kind of sarcastic meme. Guys are just, for whatever reason, we're kind of that way. Or we just talk about sports and pretend we don't have feelings. And let's be honest, right now, if we're talking about sports, that means either axe throwing or the NFL draft whether or not baseball is going to start around the 4th of July. That's, that's kind of it for us right now. But for women often who are better at communicating than men, more open to communicating, this makes sense. She wanted everyone to come. If she found it, she wanted to celebrate it. If she didn't find it, she wanted them to basically mourn with her, to hurt with her. The important things, we share them. We celebrate them. We even mourn them. But she found that coin. She was so excited. She had to celebrate and call everyone together. What is it that you and I, in the depths of our hearts, celebrate in our own lives? Not the silly things we've been talking about in some cases right now, but the deeper things that matter to us more than anything. The things that if they were lost and we had recovered them, we would have absolutely nothing but joy in our heart and we would have to celebrate. For some of you today, maybe that's having a strong marriage where at one point one did not exist. Maybe it's celebrating that you're in recovery from an addiction and that you're taking it one day at a time. Maybe it's that you were once far off from from God, but he, by his grace, grabbed onto you and wrapped his arms around you, and now you're his child and you you belong to him. And if not you, someone you love who was far away from the Lord now belongs to him. What is it that you celebrate? Right now, it might be just being healthy, healthy, happy, and alive. It might be all those things. What does God celebrate? Not just what we celebrate, but what does God celebrate? Looking at his word in scripture, what does God celebrate? Think about that for a moment. Let it sink in. We're going to get back to that in a moment. So we know here in this story that Jesus is unhappy with these religious types. They should have known the answers. They should have known what in his word from the Old Testament, what he had always said, what he had prophesied through his prophets was important to him. And yet they had missed the point entirely. In fact, Jesus is so frustrated, he's grabbing their attention with these these parables. He's picking heroes in them that really kind of grate on them in the depths of their being. Just by what he's doing in these stories, he's trying to get a hold of them. He's letting them know that what truly matters to God in his heart 
much like us when we lose something, what really is valuable, what really matters, it's right under their noses. And they don't even see it. They don't even see it. Jesus here is telling them, and he's telling us that our hearts need to be aligned with God's heart. Not our agenda, but God's agenda. That means we must search out and find out what matters to God in his heart. We must check carefully in the depths of God's word and understand inside and out what God believes to be important. We must dig in. We must lay aside our own wants, our own needs, our own desires. We must have some soul searching and really pray and take time and listen for the Holy Spirit to guide us in God's word. This week, if you're looking for somewhere to read in God's word more about this, I invite you to take a look at Revelation chapter 4, where we see angels and the 24 elders saying, God, you're holy. God, you're worthy. You're the only one who can do it, who can redeem the, the earth. We see the end of the story, what Jesus starts at the cross. It's completed. God comes back and he redeems the whole earth. He judges right from wrong and he sets everything back the way it was meant to be. Revelation chapter 4, where God says everything that matters is going to be restored to its proper place. Or consider here, look at Matthew 18.10, where Jesus says about his children. Matthew 18.10 says, See to it that you don't despise one of these little ones, because I tell you that in heaven their angels continually view the face of my Father in heaven. Do you see it here? In this passage, the very angels of heaven are focused in like a laser on the countenance of God, on his face. And when God shows concern for one of his own, one of his children, they're ready to react at a moment's notice and intervene on the Father's behalf as he commands them. Compare that to the religious people that Jesus is encountering in these first two parables that we are studying. They're scorned for those people, the ones that they feel Jesus shouldn't bother worrying about. And yet God says, no, those are my children. And Jesus is saying to them, to the religious people, and he's saying to us, why aren't you worried about them? He's saying to us today, why aren't we worried about them? Those are my children. I love them. I treasure them. And you should seek after them and love them too. Why don't they matter to you? as much as they matter to me. I feel like God is saying that clearly to us. Look at verse 10 in our passage. Verse 10 says, I tell you in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. That's what matters to God. And so that's what should matter to us. We should be looking on to God's face. We should be looking into God's heart, in his word, seeking to know him, to understand him, and to rejoice with him over what matters to him, the lost being found. That is what we should be about as a church. That's what we should be about as God's people, as Christians. The question we all need to ask ourselves as God is shaking up our world, and indeed I believe he's shaking up the church in these days, why not? Why shouldn't the church be about all these things that God is about? Is this church, our church, the capital C church, the church universal, are we as the followers of Jesus Christ? Are we about the things that matter to the heart of God as Jesus was about his father's heart? In these days, 
Where do we place our treasure? Where do we place our value, our importance, our focus? Our whole selves, where do we place them? Do we celebrate the lost that are found? Do we rejoice with the angels in heaven and seek to be a part of God's heart as the angels celebrate as those without hope are brought to a new life through Jesus Christ? That's what God's celebrating. That's what Jesus says should be celebrated here. That's what he says matters. Not any of these other things we worry about. And maybe that's why God is stripping so many things away from us in our lives right now. I mean, for all of us, myself included, is God trying to show us what truly matters and to move us as his people to be about what he has us here to do? We have the gospel of grace. We have the truth of God's word. We have the power of the Holy Spirit changed life in us that God wants us to offer to other people that they would be rescued and redeemed in Jesus Christ just like us. That's what God is telling us here is truly valuable and what truly matters. Like a bride with her dowry prepared for her groom, we as the church are to be prepared. We have been given the down payment by Christ's precious blood that has been shed for us, that we would have freedom from sin. And so the question, church, in these days where God is stripping away all the speed, all the noise, and all the distraction, what is it worth celebrating in our lives? Beyond all other things, beyond all that matters, what should be at the center of us as followers of Jesus Christ? What matters to you? What matters to me? What do we treasure? What do you and I seek more than anything else? What do we celebrate in our lives, in the depths of our hearts this day? Friends, that's the question I believe the church must consider right now. What do we truly treasure? Let's pray. Father God, that you would remind us that you provide all these things for us. And no matter how difficult and how stressful and how uh, bleak it can seem at times, we can feel like everything is lost in our lives, in our world, in ourselves. And yet you tell us to persevere and that you're with us and that you will, you will search alongside us and you will bring us to what truly matters. If we will seek you, God, you tell us that just as your angels focus on your heart, look on your face, that you are ready to, ready to react. And that, in fact, God, when one who is lost is found, that all of heaven rejoices, as we see in Revelation 4, as we, we see in Matthew 18, as we read about here in Luke 15 in this parable today, there's consistency, God, in your word, that what matters to you, what matters to your kingdom should be what matters to us as your people, as the church. And God, we know that thing has changed lives, redeemed lives, that Lord, you treasure us, that you treasure those who are far off, calling them back and making them your own. God, make that the cry of our heart, make that our desire as your people, that we would seek to share the gospel, that lives will be transformed, that all we have as individuals and all we have as your church would be put forth in that great commission, that great task of sharing the good news that Jesus Christ has come to rescue sinners. Make that the center of us now in this time. Redeem us, Lord, forge us into new people, into a new church on fire and ready to serve you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.